Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Good evening. Welcome to the H2O Podcast. My name is Timothy Harvey. And I'm Jason Hunt. And I forgot to turn on the Super Friends sound. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. There you go. Uh, well, you know, you turn things off to do something and then you forget to turn it back on when you got to do something else. So, sure, you know, it is, that's the way it is. So, <sighs> <laughs> so, um, a couple of things I, we, we, um, uh, over the weekend. So Mr. Harvey was out and I filled in for him on foreign bodies. Mrs. Walker and I have known each other for nigh on something something years. And so I figure, okay, well we can we can at three. least find something to talk about. Yeah, a couple of three. And um and as no, as she reminded me, we've known each other since sixth grade. And uh so it's been it's and been she's a still talking to you. I know, right? It's it says it says a lot about her uh, her tolerance for for pain so uh so we did we did foreign bodies on saturday and for whatever reason it blew up and the the view count on it and the the audience the performance on it is like wow what's what happened what's the what's the why is anybody looking at this and i'm over feeling here feeling very deeply wounded i mean i'm not on the show on the numbers but i'm like okay (laughs) well thanks fine no that's okay that's all right i understand well and you know i've never been popular in my life i'm i'm looking at it and i'm thinking what what is different one it's shorter two leslie is talking more than she normally does because i told her i was like all right this is you're the lead on this because it's your show and um I, you know, it, the only thing we can think of is the title body swap somehow got show started showing up in search engines. You know, somebody, a lot of people apparently are searching YouTube for body swap videos and okay. Okay. <laughs> the joke being that, you know, we've swapped, you know, Tim for me and I don't I, I I don't know. I, I look at the numbers for how long people stayed watching the show and I think they were actually looking for real body swaps. They were kind of disappointed that we didn't give them that. So it is, is 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 there uh, some sort of is there a, I mean I could I, I don't know. Is there I, a car thing? I mean that seems like I mean I don't know. I mean I, I don't know. I I did see. Well, I did my own search on YouTube for body swap to see what would show up, right? To see if she if, sure, right. if we would show up. We didn't. But there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's in that particular style. The, apparently, there's some kind of a something that people have been doing of late, and maybe people were looking for that and they found us and went, "This is not what I'm looking for." click so you know <laughs> i was like wow 240 some odd views uh they're only about 10 seconds long though but you know who knows there's a there's an experiment we could do here which is actually uh it would t- require a little research on leslie my part which is fine mm-hmm. uh which would actually be there the body swap or body horror is part of the horror genre right. and certainly 
the U.S. is far from being the only country that has <laughs> in, enjoyed body horror uh, in its in its horror film repertoire. So we could we could potentially do an episode that has body swap in the title again and actually have it be about horror films with body swaps and body horror and that sort of thing. There you go. Um, and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, well, and, sure. And I, and I have to wonder uh, too, if, if the length of the video, now, you know, the, the YouTube algorithm is always wonky anyway, and, and it's constantly changing on the mm. various different things. What makes a, 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 a video, perform well or you know start show up in search or whatnot and this particular episode was a little bit shorter than usual mainly because i don't have very much in my head horror related so we'll do an hour and and whatnot normally the show is about an hour and a half so i don't know if that has anything to do with it potentially or I don't, whatever I don't know. So anyway, who knows? But it definitely was not people coming to see me. I, well, I'm, there was I'm fairly once upon certain. A time. There was once upon a time back when we were doing all the different shows about various. Back when you could do a bunch of different shows about um, the various superhero TV shows. Mm-hmm. Now there have become so many that that would be ludicrously difficult for us to manage and do anything else with our lives um (laughs) but there was that period of time where it was like i was on like five of our video shows yeah and i'm like is 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 this not too many (laughs) this Uh, is too much of me (laughs) i have i have that i have that conversation with with mindy a lot now she's she's trying to be funny here saying that she'll set up a camera for when i wake up in the morning if we really want horror (laughs) ha ha but um at one point that's uh, everyone mindy sorry right we we had talked i was talking to her about the fact that uh that i produce you know i at, at one point when we were doing, I think, like seven or eight shows here, mm-hmm. when we came back from the from the hiatus, I guess you could say, we were doing like seven shows, and I was producing almost all of them and co-hosting four of them. Right. And I was like, I'm not it's getting anything else done. <laughs> so, right. it's a lot. So I mean, yeah, I, it's it's we gotta we gotta find ways to duplicate ourselves. We're not. Well, and, and you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that I think a lot of people when they when they set things up to they you know, they see the the people who are, um, you know, professional YouTubers, mm. or or you know that's that's their job. Yeah, they don't realize necessarily how much work actually goes into it, and I think that some of the folks who have really made that their career. Um, are putting in many, 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 many hours a day yeah. to produce a 30 minute video or an hour long video or a that come, four you know, doing hour stuff live stream. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, I, whatever, you, whatever folks enjoy, but I personally have no desire to sit and watch do, someone else do anything for four hours. No, 
No. I mean, if, if, if I'm, if I'm, if it's a class, if I'm studying, if it's, you know, it's an intensive thing or I'm like two weeks and then I'm going to walk away with, you know, a certificate yeah. or whatever. Fine. That I get that. Well, and we've even talked about, you know, what's the ideal length. I mean, we had a survey at one point and, and, and people were like, I'll, I'll do any length as long as the topic is interesting. But by and large, I think 45 minutes to an hour is the sweet spot. And if you go an hour and a half, okay. But I, I don't, I don't see any. Unless we're doing like a live event where we're broadcasting from a comic con and we're going, mm-hmm. that would be a thing where we'd go a long time because we've got stuff going and changing out and people coming in and out and whatnot. But as a regular show, yeah, I just, I, I mean, yeah. and, and again, folks, if, if that's your thing, then by all means, enjoy it. But it's just, I just don't have the time. The old, I just yeah. I, the only the only time that I think I've watched any kind of really long live stream thing that wasn't like an event, right? So DC Fandom, right? You would do right, something like that right. where it's all you know. But, um, you know, um, I I find legal stuff interesting, even though I've got no legal background. It just I find I find the the process fascinating, and and it's you know it's it's a little terrifying too. It's like you know. How do you make sausage? Do you want to know? Well, <laughs> right. that's you know, but but I can find I I do find some of that fascinating. And there's a couple of different people who will do like, you know, uh, uh, a lawsuit or something will come out and they'll go online so they'll break it down. Right? They'll say you know, yeah. and then uh, this is its you know, and and every now and again, I'll find something interesting enough in that. Be like, yeah, I'll listen to your live stream while I'm working. So it's like a, it's like a radio, like radio show or a podcast or something like that, that I can do. But if it's just sitting there and watching, no. I mean, even, even on topics I'm interested in, it's like, okay, I'm already looking around going, where did my day go? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that's, that's, that's almost every one of my days. If if and I so, made a list, I I should make a list. I need to make a list so I can catch up on on the stuff what I need to do. But if I made a list of everything that I've got to do in any given day, uh, it's much longer than I have a day to do, and I'm not going to get it all done because I'm right. I'm perpetually behind on everything so we'll uh we'll just yeah, see i mean it's again like i said if, if this is a thing that you enjoy folks then then by all means do enjoy them no. um but uh you're not likely to find me uh popping up in the in the chat anywhere of these <laughs> things <laughs> yeah uh dave says widgets how they came to be and how we can't live without them oh you know what um there are all kinds of nifty little widgets that i've i've been i i I run the website for my job my day job and so i'm always looking at like ooh, what new widget has wordpress rolled out yeah does it have any use for me (laughs) most of the time the answer is no but still it's kind of cool so yeah so anyway um i guess we should get to our topic uh, since yeah, we've since we've just yammered for fifteen minutes now, so in people who have watched the show are familiar with no, the I, things I, work I, I know, you know I, that, right? I, I know, I know. For those of you who are new, uh, this is this is kind of how we do. So, in various different conversations over the past from years, we have occasionally touched on this idea, this notion of. 
the grounded in reality type of story, and and most especially when Zack Snyder's uh, DC stuff came out, and uh, the the maybe kind of the Ayer cut of you know David Ayer's Suicide Squad, and looking at some of these other things, and. Tim has has especially focused on the fact that when you apply real world physics in the superhero milieu, it's a little it's a little frightening. It's nightmare horrifying. fuel. It's straight up nightmare fuel. Yeah. So we thought we would actually take a, a, an hour and look at the the dark and gritty, the the grounded in reality, because a lot of times now. I, I say that together, but they are distinct from each other. The dark and gritty is yes. not necessarily realism so much, but in a lot of people's minds, it's gotten to be, they've right. gotten to be associated well, together. So a lot of times, and when it comes to, to especially when it comes to, 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 to the film genre, yeah. those things often go hand in hand. And, and there's a couple of things that, that you want to consider grounded in reality is, Definitely in air quotes, because we're dealing a lot of times with fantastic situations, but you're trying to set that fantastic situation in a world that is like ours in ways that a lot of fantastic fiction, where whether it's science fiction, fantasy, superhero films, don't always do. I think you're going to look at something like the Marvel Universe, and even though it takes place in cities that have the same names as the cities in this world, mm -hmm. there's a there's a certain amount of leaning into the comic book unreality. Sure. That enables you to have a scene like in the first Avengers film when clearly there's no, and if you've ever <laughs> been to New York City, you know there's no way to evacuate the city so that you know you're you are watching hundreds of people die you just don't see them yeah because buildings are being destroyed things like that and you know alien space whales are tearing through manhattan people are dying but you don't see that you're allowed to have that difference because it's focusing on the heroics and, and our heroes fighting the villains and, and it's it's a it's an, a difference of focus whereas you get into something like man of steel where you get to watch Metropolis be annihilated. And that's what two godlike beings would do if they're fighting each other, right? Right. So, I mean, yes, that's this is how this works. But you also have that grounded in reality kind of thing where you look at something like um, the Battlestar Galactica reboot that they did for Sci-Fi Jam, okay? They took the science, the science fiction concepts of the original Battlestar Galactica and they sat there and went, what if they, what if we set this in a world where physics mostly functions the way it's supposed to? Mm -hmm. Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. Starfighters can't, they're, they're, they're Vipers, Starfighters, it's a different movie. Um, <laughs> Vipers can't do that in space, guys. I'm sorry. That's not, no. But you see, you see the, the, the thrusters, right? And you see the, there's, there's an attempt to ground it in a recognizable kind of physics. Yeah. Or you look at something like The Expanse, where it's written into the story that we're going to play with time and distance 
the way that time and distance actually work so that when we've got this, it's in the future, but it's a recognizable future. When we bring in the proto-molecule and, and uh, uh, this, this really terrifying idea of a kind of an alien invasion that takes over your body and, and turns you into what it wants, that is, is in a world that we recognize even though it's in the far future. It feels like a place that we could live in well, I mean, so, you could even go back to, to something like 2001, where the physics of it, I mean, take mm-hmm. take away the monolith right? And, and all of that, but everything else, you know, Kubrick did the whole, you know, you're floating in space and you're spinning to, to line up with the, with the hangar deck and all of these different things that... The physics of the time says it'll look like this, you know, the, the scientists say, and so you have that, that attempt at a pseudo reality that adds to the believability of the fantastic stuff. And that's really a key to this, because when you have this, you have this story that is so out there and so unbelievable and so fantastic you know, warp drive and and hyperspace and laser swords and space wizards and whatnot. That part gets enhanced by the stuff that are, you know, the, the touchstones, the reality touchstones. That's one of the reasons why Star Wars works so well, because everything's lived in. And you can mm-hmm. you can feel the the years and the wear and tear and you know this does actually feel like dad's garage you know type of thing where where right. you look at something like uh you know uh, hunger games for example well that's probably a bad example now given <laughs> given how how the year is playing out but um but it is still a little bit beyond what you could accept as a as a believable premise well i think you could even do it within the star wars franchise i think that was one of the complaint about the prequels is that they seem too shiny and glossy Mm -hmm. compared to the original trilogy where you've got that sort of very lived in feel like you said and and the prequels were a little too and and that's just oh it's just one of the realities of of cgi at the time is that it was much easier to make it glossy and shiny right than to make it have that that texture because text you know it's really kind of easy to go into a set with a bucket full of dirt <laughs> it's hard it it can be done and you see you see this now i mean the technology has gotten to the point where you know you the particle physics of making something look dirty no, and make it look real is we have it. It exists. Well, and and, and but, you you go back to the the idea because because CG was so clean, and they ended up taking the taking the sharpness and taking everything back, dialing dialing back the the realism of it mm-hmm. because photorealistic is less believable than you know what we've got now you you dirty it up you blur the lines a little bit you make it a little bit less refined well, and, I, 
and I and think it that you're, you know you you can also run into the fact that if you're doing it at what sixty frames a second, uh huh, it's already looks odd to the eye. Yeah, and then you do it with CGI, and and, and I know that you know Peter Jackson ran into that problem with with his attempts to do things at sixty frames a second. So. How, how ironic is it? <clears throat> That here we are in the year 2022. We're all, we're we're a quarter of the way through the 21st century, and modern day filmmaking is going back to the rear projection screen. You know the beautiful thing about that that <laughs> is that the with the technology we have now, yeah, you can make the rear projection screen be this immersive space i mean i love the 194 i'm a film noir fan i love i love that 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 style of filmmaking but i there's always something about they're in the car and they're driving along and that rear projection screen never lines up it doesn't matter pick pick an amazing classic filmmaker and they are you know they're just sitting there going ah, just close as it's gonna get yeah yeah <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. Wait two seconds before you look back through the window, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like the, there's a there's a great one. It's a, I can't remember which Humphrey Bogart film it is, but the angle is just a little wrong. Yeah. And enough that it shows up and, and eventually it starts. It's just to, to the audiences of the time, it didn't register because it was it was still new technology. It was still a, a very new effect. That looked, and strictly speaking, it still looks good. But now, you know, when we've got you know, cars on trailers and things like that, where it's real backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, that there's those moments where it's like. I think the most brilliant use of rear screen projection that I'm aware of was in Superman 78. Mm. When they come back to Lois's balcony. And they and she's standing there, and he's in the back, and he flies off, and she walks into the apartment, and Clark's knocking on the door. Right? Superman's part is rear screen projection. They shot that part ahead, and then so now you've got the you've got the camera looking over Margot Kidder's shoulder at a screen where we see Superman fly off and the camera goes in and there's Chris Reeves standing on the other side of the door. And everyone's like, how did they do that? And I was like, this is, this is old school technology. And it was, all, yes, Dave, it was all one take. They just went, so they just slid the camera right inside and there's, and there's Chris Reeves. And they're like, how did they do that? They didn't have to, I didn't see a cut. No, you didn't. One of my all-time favorite uh, uses of rear screen projection, in a completely comedic sense, is the classic driving scene in Airplane, mm. where they lean into that being just completely off, yeah, and and, and wrong, um, and it, it's a great, you know, it, and and they let it play out in the background as a complete, you know, a, a visual treat of comedy. <laughs> so, you know, you don't you don't get a lot of it's nice to see when someone allows a joke to play out in the background. That's always a fun thing when you in in in, in comedy when when you allow the humor to be happening in multiple places at the same time. 
you don't get that a lot. Uh, well, you never got that a lot, but when you do get it, it's 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 really kind of fun. So, so next next time we do one of these, when you dial in, your your remote background should be driving footage. You Just know what? Because. I <laughs> I think I still have the. I know I do. I know I still have the footage from the Temptress video, mm. the driving footage. Yeah, I could. I could you, literally you, put that in. <laughs> but I think the the whole grounded in reality thing. I mean that that you know you talk about the 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 immersive part of this of this thing now with the with the volume, for example, all these different LED studios and whatnot. And it does kind of bring things full circle into how technology was at the beginning, going back to this idea of making it look as realistic as possible. Back in the 30s and 40s, you're not going to be able to shoot, you know, cameras on cars and get out there in the traffic and whatnot. And now you can pretty much go anywhere on any planet and move a rock in, in real time and, and, and do whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's still uh, there's still those things um, where that's the that's the fantastical part because they're mm -hmm. using that they're using that for the engine uh, for the engine room in, in Strange New Worlds right right because you look at the engine room in Star Trek Two and it was forced perspective you've got kids in the suits in the back and make this right. thing look longer than it is but now you just put it up on a screen right and, but, and it, it, it it frees you up as a creator if you use it well. Yeah. But the key still is it's got to look believable. Mm -hmm. And the, the grounded in reality part of it has to come from something that's familiar to the audience enough that you can make that, you can make that leap. Right. Even if you're on another planet, you're out on a spaceship, you're doing whatever. There's got to be something in the in the moment that that the audience can latch onto and sit there and go, okay, I, I'm I'm oriented here. I know what we're doing. Let's go. And it's that suspension of b disbelief that keys in on the stuff we're familiar with, so it's easier to accept the stuff that's that that we're not. Right, and and sometimes you can do it very subtly if you go if you go. Cast your mind back to the first Jurassic Park film. So you have this, and sorry for the flickery in the background. I think I've got a, I've got a bulb that's going to go out on me here. Um, the it's better than you, you being a dim bulb. Uh, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, the in the midst of all this crazy idea of genetic engineering dinosaurs back to the world, we have one of those rides. And a, and a vintage video style presentation. Yeah. And we all recognized it. We all knew exactly what was going on here. And the looks the characters were exchanging with each other. It's like, really? But we all recognize that. And so some degree, it centers you in the idea that, you know, we've all seen those videos that where it's like, and this is atomic energy. Dun, 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 dun. Mm. You know, I mean. Whether or, we or, saw them, whether time, we saw them, time for timer, yeah, I, hanker so for we, a hunk of cheese. We get it. We actually, we we relate, we uh, recognize that. Yeah. And um, hey, hey, Mazers. Um, but 
it it actually helps put you in that space in a way that makes the more fantastic elements. And of course, again, we come back to good use of actual puppets mm-hmm. uh, and recognizing that if you blur the edges, the that CG was, doesn't look as much like CG. That was one of the things that I figured out early on when I was doing green screen work in television because uh, the the thing... The thing that always gets you is the sharpness of the line yeah. and the cutout and the thing. And, oh, that looks fake. Why does that look fake? Well, it's because you've got this edge around. Because if you're standing on a green screen and the green gets replaced by whatever background. I mean, weather, the weather cast, you know, the weather forecast and stuff, the maps, it's not quite so noticeable because your weather guys look going back and forth and zipping. And you know right. that map's not really there. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing something that you're really trying to sell that this person is in this environment and you're doing it with green screen, one of the things that I did early was softening the edges all the way around because I I noticed that if you if you have that sharp edge that, around the cutout, they look like they're a layer pasted on. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you blur the edges, like you're talking about, you blur the lines a little bit, they blend a little better. And it's not right. always perfect, but it's no. it's better. Right. right. It's, uh, you know, little, little technology tricks that make some things work a little better. Yeah. Um, I think I think when, it, when, when you get into... A lot of what we look at when we, when we consider the more grounded in reality... Um, that stuff is less out in space, right? A lot of that is more here on Earth. It's more, and when you get into like your grounded, grounded in reality superhero films, it was it was a fairly big deal when the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, you know, when when you've got Christian Bale's Batman. Um, you know, there was the the reality, again, air quotes for the folks who are just listening. Um, of of those three movies was a thing that people remarked on Mm -hmm. you know for the most part it is set in again a world where physics functions the way physics is supposed to work um more or less and interestingly enough there was a something there was i can't remember the name of the critic um who claimed who said something about batman v superman being one of the most grounded superhero films and it's like have you seen some other ones? Because <laughs> no. Well, from a from a physics standpoint, though, because you you've you've talked about this, we've talked about this on on this show a couple of times. Where if you have uh, if you have the real world physics of two Kryptonians battling each other, you have essentially what what we got in that movie, where buildings are falling down around people, and and well, and and even even the degree that people are afraid of Superman in the first film, mm-hmm. um, even in the degree that Batman is afraid of Superman in the second film, these are things that if you're going to set things in that world with that premise. Yeah. Yes. That is not unrealistic. Does it make it a good Okay. 
my apologies to the Snyder fans out there. I think we've been on this. I think if you've watched the show before and you've heard us talk about it, you know we have mixed feelings about Zack Snyder's films. All right. Some stuff I like, some stuff I don't. Yeah. Okay. But I think one of the biggest mistakes DC made was leaning into this idea because the negative aspects become much more apparent in this setting right right the idea that superman who was supposed to be a symbol of hope becomes a primarily in the first film a force of destruction it's not the intent Mm -hmm. but that's what happens the second film not the intent but that's what happens and and i think that that's it's it's a danger you can have with this kind of storytelling I'm not saying there's not a place for it. I think you can very much root things in the the physics of now and tell that kind of story. Uh, Chronicle. All right, you sure, got. Sure. I mean, it's it's the same basic concept. People with superpowers destroying a lot of things, but it's not a character like Superman who's meant to be a symbol of hope. You can see what Snyder's trying to do there. And I think there are some benefits to that kind of... So, Well, I don't know if benefits is the right word. There's some potential with that kind of storytelling. Um, but I think that it also ends up becoming this grim... A lot of people you know, really did not necessarily react well to the grimmer nature of the DC universe at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not saying you can't have, you know, dark, gritty storytelling, the, the suicide squad, um, definitely has lots of violence and, and darkness to the story. But of course it's got the James Gunn sense of humor running through it too. So there's almost an absurd absurdity to it that balances it out where you've got sort of like part of the joke is how violent it is. Right. It's, it's, it's absurd at that point. Right. And, and, and yet you can, there's also a seriousness of the story. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the advantages that James Gunn has been able to pull off. He can, he can take you to silly places and do silly things and still have an emotional core to the story. Right. Um, Which I think, which is, you know, one of his real strengths as a storyteller. Um, but at the same time, you know, so it's not easy. It's not easy to do. And if you love the Snyder films, that's great. Um, but I think that you and I both had that complaint early on when we both watched Man of Steel. And I was even trying to find things in the film that I enjoyed. I found interesting, if nothing else. Um, and I did find things that I thought were interesting, but it, shaped it shaped what the dc film universe was going to look like for a while and it didn't actually do them any favors yeah i well and it and it might be again i i saw something i'm trying to see if i can find it here um something about the air cut well the air cut is a possibility it sounds like the air cut could be coming but 
there was something else because you know Warner Warner Media Discovery has been doing all of their reorganization right. now. You had a lot of executives out the door now in a reshuffle for the last couple sure, of right. couple of uh, couple of weeks. A bloodbath at the CW as they're getting ready to sell that thing. Um, <laughs> okay, hold, hold on, Dave. Uh, <laughs> Thank goodness Miss Testmarker was grounded in reality. <laughs> well, which, which Miss Testmarker? Because now we've had two. Because uh, we, we had the one on Supergirl and 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 the one in uh, in the movie. Why but, all of them, of course? But you have you have Warner Media Discovery reshuffling things. Executives are on their way out the door. Anne Sarnoff being a big detractor of uh, of Snyder stuff. She's gone. Um, Walter Hamada is still there. We don't know for how long. Emmerich uh, 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 is still there. You know, Toby Emmerich is still there. But I saw something. I can't remember where I saw it. But it's it was a rumor that one of Zack Snyder's associated producers is being eyed for taking over the DC mm. film universe. And I thought, well, if that's the case... You know, if Zaslav, if David Zaslav comes in and says, we're putting the band back together, we're putting the Snyder stuff back. I'm not necessarily, I, I, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing because I, it, they weren't good films. I don't think I want that. <laughs> I, I don't either. I mean, no, again, folks, if you're fan, if you're fans of the Snyder cut and the Snyder films again that's all power to you oh oh sure they're grounded in one reality folks yeah. again reminder well it's a business they're grounded in the reality of making money that's yeah all Dave, they care Dave about. has that question about the studio executives I would I would say I would qualify that as I, I would I would give a qualified yes because there have been moments and there have been decisions made by executives at various different levels that make no sense in terms of why are you doing that? You're not going to make any money doing that, you idiot. Don't do that. Why? Hold on. Why are you doing that? And there's been a lot of that, too. And, okay. well, you, and you also have the executives who have to live with the decision from previous executives that right. we've inherited this now what do we do with it and so you've got some of that too but yes ultimately the the goal is to make money for the shareholders and i think with with warner discovery particularly i think david zaslav has come in and started swinging the axe and saying hey you guys need to remember this thing called the bottom line that's important we're going to we're going to make that important again. And you've got mm -hmm. Netflix even doing the same thing. The memo that got sent out here a few weeks ago is they, hey, we're gonna do some stuff and you're not gonna like it all. And if you're gonna have a problem with it, then maybe you don't need to be working here anymore. I think finally people are starting to realize that making money and making making a profit and and you know being in business actually means you do stuff that appeals to the broadest possible market for your product 
Well, and and that market can be very very niche depending on what you're trying to do. It can but, be yes. So it depends on what, what what you're trying to accomplish. And yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how the landscape develops. And quite frankly, with the sheer number of streaming services that currently exist, it was always going to change at some point. I it happened a little quicker than I thought it did yeah. for Netflix, but it was coming. Oh sure. Um, I do want to I do want to talk about because we're 42 minutes into our show <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that can that because we do set uh, often these more reality based uh, grounded science fiction in either the near future or the now right. um, or at least a version of the now um, this can become something that can really, really work or doesn't quite. You end up with some interesting things you can play with. You have a, you know, the Truman Show. Mm-hmm. You know, the basic premise is insane. We have taken an orphaned baby child <laughs> and we're going to raise the child on television. Yeah. And we're all going to watch. And yet there's nothing in the Truman Show that is actually unrealistic aside from the core premise. And even that's not that unrealistic with our era of constant streaming and all these different things. I mean, it, there's, well, there's an element to that now. And but how many, how many reality shows are, are we saddled with now? I mean, Survivor's right. gone, what, 30 seasons? And you've got it's, all of the dance it, stuff and the mask singer it, and whatnot. It pushes it to an extreme. Yeah. But then basically, it, it's, so here's the extreme. We push it over here. Now, let the reality of that situation sort of extrapolate its way out, right? Yeah. And, and so that's, I mean, that's a grounded science fiction film it's i mean it is a science fiction film um it doesn't necessarily it's not like in the future it's, but it, would you would you compare it maybe to a heinlein story would that be something maybe the heinlein would write or bradbury uh i'm maybe more bradbury especially considering bradbury's uh sort of disdain for television um, sure. I, yeah. I, the, that, that, you know, sort of the negative aspects were very much up, up Bradbury's street there. But, um, and another, another film that, that I think really handles the grounded in reality, gritty, dark kind of storytelling that a lot of people just haven't seemed to have seen because it was marketed by morons. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> We we have talked about the very poor poor handling of the John Carter yes. uh, marketing, but bef- long before that, back in 1995, there was a little film called Strange Days, mm. starring Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett. Yes, it had a terrible ad campaign. It was abysmally awful. People did not see the movie. Catherine Bigelow directed it. It had an incredible cast, and but wasn't that a- her feature debut? I think it may have been her feature debut. And it's an, it not only is it an excellent science fiction film, came out in 95, set in 1999, at the turn of the millennium. Mm, mm. 
it is the world that we were living in in 1995 with the addition of a new piece of technology. So it's the world we recognize. And it's a world where the, it's, there's, there's, there's race riots getting developed, ready to happen in, in LA. And the audience remembered Rodney King. Yeah. You, there's, you have that grounding. So here, that's the background story, right? So it's a world that we recognize. It's tensions we all recognized. And yet here's this piece of technology, science fiction technology that's in there that drives the story, that, that is the, the connecting piece to make the mystery of the story unfold. And so it's a science fiction film, but it's one that it's our world and it works exceptionally well. Same thing right. they do with Gattaca. Gattaca takes place in a future that's 10 years away, maybe. Yeah. Well, and, I mentioned the Hunger Games in, in just, but you look at things like the Met Gala, for example, and oh, sure. everybody, I, I think in the last two or three years where we've had the Met Gala, people have said, you know, the hung, it, it's time for the Hunger Games again. You know, they make that comparison because of how outlandishly everybody is, is costumed. Mm-hmm. But you now have uh, you now have the the food shortages and and those things. It was like I don't I don't want to be this grounded in reality. Thank you very much. No, I, I'm I, not I, saying that we're going to be going to that that extreme where we're going to be no. fighting for food like that. But no, uh, and, and it, I think that there's there well even even the Hunger Games. If you look at how those the novels especially and and the movies too deal with it they essentially we're not in the future that's our world in terms of clothing mm-hmm. and architecture and and transportation really and but it's the premise and that's one yeah. thing dystopian futures stories will often do that is that it's recognizably our world plus zombies right. recognizably our world plus the alien invasion and and part of that is the unease you get about having your neighborhood o- overrun with the undead, right? It, right. It, 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 it's designed to make you feel something. And so you can have that kind of, you know, visceral reaction to, that's a street just like mine. Mm-hmm. New York City well, has been destroyed by aliens. I was just in New York City last year. You know, yeah. I mean... Well, even if you look at something like Alien, where you you're, it's all set out in a, in a in a in a spaceship out in deep space, you have essentially the approach that Ridley Scott took was these are truckers in space, mm-hmm. and the the mechanics of it, all of the all of that, you know, the chains and the the condensation and the water vapor and all these things. You, you go through and it's cramped and it's it's really claustrophobic and and you have that sense of again going back to Star Wars that lived in feel of the right. Nostromo where you know not everybody's getting along not everybody's wearing this spiffy colorful uniform you know you know in the primary colors red blue and green or sure, yellow right, right. or whatever right they're they're wearing they're wearing the coveralls and they're wearing, mm-hmm. you know, what what you would expect mechanics to wear. 
And so that, again, that that gives you that grounding that, okay, here's a frame of reference for me that I can wrap my head around. And then suddenly aliens are bursting out of chests and there's blood and there's acid, acid right. things and whatnot. And so it's you, you have that set up to make the leap interestingly enough do. one of the most unrealistic things about the first alien film is how near it is in our future yeah it's <coughs> so you know <laughs> I, Dave I tell says, you what you mean new york city isn't a prison yet like escape from new york um no, that would be no, australia I, <laughs> I have to tell you uh it's been a few years now but i i i spent a, a several days in new york city and i had a great time um, I, I could, I, I can't, I couldn't afford to, but I could live in New York. I couldn't afford to live in New York, but I could live in New York. <laughs> I couldn't afford to live in one of the boroughs. Oh my God, it's so yeah. expensive there. But I, I had a great time. But I got, it, it's a, it's a theater and art town, and that's my gem. So yeah, yeah. it's an expensive theater and it's art a town. very expensive and and i realize that if you live there you know you make more money because but still yeah i i don't mind the midwest for being the lower cost of things i just don't <laughs> so um but i think that you also have the opportunity to do with some of this stuff is a lot of science fiction has often taken the opportunity to talk about the world we live in without talking about the world we live in some of it and, more subtle than others, and some of it more. Oh, yeah, clunk, some of it more subtle than others. Than but others. I think that you look at, you look at something like, um, and 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 look, the reason we got things like the Snyderverse is because we got things like Watchmen, the comic book series, and the Dark Knight Returns mm -hmm. in the comic book series, and the you know, Frank Miller, uh, and and really had a huge impact with daredevil and, and dark yeah. knight and alan and of moore. course alan moore with with uh watchman but alan moore also did v for vendetta which if you've not read the comics i highly recommend reading the comics because you'll see as much as i enjoy the movie v for vendetta it is not a good adaptation of the comic <laughs> it's not it's it's an entertaining movie but it's like watching it's like watching Keanu Reeves and Constantine. No, that's <laughs> that's not a good adaptation of the character. It's an entertaining film. I own both of these movies uh -huh. and I enjoy them. But and and they're alternate versions of these characters that I enjoy. That's great. That's fine. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. But if you were if you were reading V for Vendetta when it was being published as essentially as a serial. Uh, in its original form, and then in the com when I when by the time it made it across to the U.S., it was coming out as monthly comics. Then it appeared in in can't remember the name of the comic the the, the anthology series it first appeared in. Um, it was Alan Moore commenting on British society and British politics. He did not like Margaret Thatcher. This was him going. This is if Margaret Thatcher keeps going the way she's going. This is the world we're going to get. Right. And that was the basis. And if you may have, if you're familiar with Alan, Alan Moore, you may be aware he's often angry about things. 
and one of the things that it's it, at know, least it's, let's let's qualify at least his public persona has been right yes yes but he's he's also someone who's never been shy about giving his opinion and so the fact that a lot if you go back and look at a lot of of alan moore's um uh, 1970s 1980s storytelling a lot of that was alan moore saying here's my opinion on a thing and i'm going to do it through this right mm -hmm. and so you end up with you know v for vendetta was talking about a very specific idea of what a future could be it's it is a it's a, it is a dystopian future right yeah yep. And a lot of the nuance, no, most of the nuance is not in the film. And again, I like the movie. I own the movie. The comic series is stronger. And then you look at something like... Um, you could say the same thing for Watchmen. Because, oh, yeah. there's, there's, because you've got all of this material that's in the, in, in the book... In the mm -hmm. in the comic book in 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 that version of it that didn't make it into the movie, although right. the movie we got was probably as if good as gonna, it's going to get. If you're going to put it into a movie format as opposed to like a miniseries, yeah. I mean, the Watchmen miniseries it was HBO, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, was able to be as true to the ideas that Alan Moore was talking about because they had the time to tell their story. And on the flip side, you have what DC was doing with Doomsday Clock, also returning to the Watchmen storyline. Mm -hmm. And they had even more time. And yet they completely missed... If you're going to walk that territory again walk it in the same way to try and do the same kind of story that's about something that's the reason why dave gibbons was involved with the miniseries and was not involved with the comic series leaving aside the other issues he's got with dc part of that i think it would help if you have editors who are older than their mid-20s, who actually are familiar with the material that they're supposed to be working on, because, you know, a lot of these people are looking at this as a stepping stone to something else, and they don't care. And I, and I think there's some truth to that, but at the same time, I don't think... Look, Watchmen, at the end of the day, when you get into the comics, it's about how little and human all the characters are mm -hmm. and there's never been a slow motion moment that Zack Snyder doesn't love <laughs> all right and and hey you know what some of those slow motion moments look great I'm not knocking some of the cool moments right Snyder's but, got some pretty pictures yes but the problem one of the problems with the Watchmen movie is that it glamorizes these characters and then the comic it did not right there's a there's a all too human frailty both emotionally and 
in worldview and physically in the characters in the comics. And I mean, would you know watching the film that Night Owl is fat? He's overweight in the comic. He's out of shape. He's I I did I did get the sense. Now, see, I I saw the movie before reading the book. Mm-hmm. So I did get the sense that Dan's not in his prime. But not overweight as he is in the comic books. I mean, he's he's still in great shape for fighting crime. He's just put on pounds over the years. It's yeah. what happens to we get older, we gain weight. It happens to, to most to a lot to most of us. But there's a there's a reality a reality air quotes here again to the characters in Watchmen that isn't it's a comic book setting. But these aren't comic book superheroes. Right. There's only really one superpowered character in that comic. Everyone else is, you know, either just uh, incredibly intelligent, Ozymandias, right? Yeah. Um, or in in great physical shape. You know, even Dan, even Dan, you know, overweight and and out of his prime is still a trained fighter. Yeah. And these are these are folks, you know, and and for all that Rorschach is not the most stable individual, um, he's a great detective. So you have these characters that, that there's there's a grimness and a grittiness to the world that they live in, but you have the time in the comic to make it make you understand the edges of that world mm-hmm. and make it feel like a place. Yeah. That you don't get in the movie. And that's again one of the one of the things that the the HBO miniseries, because they had the time and and because they were able to sit there and go, you know what? We don't need a tenth episode. I've only got nine episodes of story. Let's not pad it. It's like <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> you gotta love those when that happens. Um so Robert, yes, the 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 so we've talked about this on the show before. Shorthand, right? Visual shorthand, storytelling shorthand. Right. There is so much more depth in the comic to what the um, political faction ruling England in the comic, uh, V for Vendetta, is. There's, you know, they, they give you time to get to know people on both sides, both the folks who are living under that regime and the people in that regime. You spend time with the character John Hurt played who is vastly different in the comic. Right. Like, I love John Hurt. He's an amazing actor. I will watch John Hurt read the phone book. He is in, he, is, he is one of the greatest talents of the last hundred years. But his character is not in the comic. <laughs> He's just not. <laughs> well, I think, and, and that goes back to the things that we have talked about before about, you know, talking about uh, stereotypes, visual shorthand, the, the elements that are recognizable 
in order to get you to a certain point where you understand right. what's going on. And, and V for Vendetta probably used that quite a bit because oh, sure. the big giant screen and the, and the star chamber and all these other things, that goes back to not, not just you know, people's ideas of 1984, but you go back to the Macintosh commercial and, you know, oh, ev sure. everything that we've ever seen about 1984 is big brother on this big screen. And so you have this, aha, I know what they're doing because I see right. it right here and I've seen this before type of thing. So, yeah. Right. And I, and I think that you end up with some benefits to that because it, if you only got two hours to tell your story, then you make those Shorthand, yeah. Well, and of course, John Hurt being in 1984 was kind of the point. Yeah. Is that if you put him in there, you sit there and go, aha, I know what kind of leader this is, right? Yeah. But again, the V for Vendetta needs a, a well, 12 issue. It's There's 12 issues, and they should do an issue, an episode, da 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 Um and I, I would love to see the the issue the the episode where there's no dialogue at all. Uh, it's completely one hundred percent visual storytelling in the comic, and you don't need a word of dialogue. And it would be amazing television, and it would actually leave you the ambiguity mm -hmm. that Moore had in the comic. The movie is very much a rah rah. He's the hero, and in the comic. Not so much. He's against the bad guys. But there's yeah. yeah, there's 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 depth you can't and again, it's compression. Twelve issue comic series down to two hour movie you can't right. Can't do. Christopher says there's but a great issue of Denny O'Neill's The Question where Vic Sage reads a copy of Watchmen on a plane ride and questions his use of violence in relation to the character of Rorschach. Which is ironic given that Rorschach is the question. Right. And that was actually kind of the, the Denny O'Neill the point, um, yeah. uh, point was that and, and if you if you're familiar with that run of the question, it was often very violent. You know, it's a city that's being torn apart by violence. Um, there's a lot of, of, of political corruption and crime and Vic Sage is fighting a, frankly, losing war mm -hmm. against it. And he comes across Watchmen and he reads it and Rorschach, you know, Rorschach's solution was zero to bodily harm in, you know, five seconds or less. Right. And... And that was not, and that was always one of the challenges for Vic Sage's question, is that his instinct was for violence. And he, while he used violence as a tool, it, it the danger he had of leaning into that violence and making it the only tool um, was, I think, one of the one of the really interesting things about that entire question series is that. Yes, the question often beat people up, but yeah. there was more to the character than that. Yeah. So. Speaking of padding for time, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to do that here. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've gone an hour. 
right, we could probably go another hour, really, if we wanted to. Yeah, to, easily. To There's a lot of stuff we haven't even there. come, we haven't even touched on. There's a lot of, of it in in the genre. So, but I'm sure we can re- revisit and circle back to this at some point. And uh, oh, yeah. in, in the meantime, uh, I do have a favor to ask of everybody who's watching: share the links to our videos. We need more people watching, and you can do that on all the different social medias and tag us. And follow us if you're not yet. Uh, we've got a newsletter you can sign up for. There's Tip Jar if you want to send us money. And uh, and all of those good things. So we do invite you to connect with us over there. In the meantime, we will sit and stew about our next topic. I don't know. We, there, you see uh, you see the, the casting news for Doctor Who today? We're getting a new rose. I I saw that I'm have not I have not read the story I saw the headline yeah um and I um I don't know I mean if it's an it, is it question is is that is it an actual playing the part on screen or is it an audio uh because no, there's, it's, so there's several it's the 60th it's it's somebody who's oh, coming in because you're gonna have and and you know with Alternate Tenet, universes. That's probably what it is. It's probably going to be a multiverse type of thing that, that which they're doing. Which could be so. a blast. Which could be a blast. And I'm, actually, I'm... multiverse could actually work toward getting the other living doctors in. Because in some dimensions, they haven't regenerated yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot of potential for it. Yeah. And if you're looking for, if you're if you're not a fan of the Chibnall years and you're looking for a reset, this is that's a possibility of dealing with it as well. Yeah. So, well, um, and, although, and, and, although, and if if it doesn't retcon the timeless child, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to stay away. Uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, um, there is a grand history of Doctor Who ignoring stuff yeah. from its own yeah. show and then just going yeah look over here yeah and <clears throat> and there it, are a lot that, of people that are hoping they'll do that because william hartnell was the first doctor you know and, i i one one day we'll we'll get into uh a, a discussion on on where i think what what i think chris chibnall's biggest crime was and um, it's not it, and and I think it's it, it um, it's unfortunate that it comes from a place of of actually loving the show. I think yeah. it's I think it's 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 not it's not. Chris Chibnall loves Doctor Who, that's good and bad, and we've talked about before that sometimes sometimes the people who love the thing the most are not, are not necessarily the best, the best person to do it. Yeah. So, all right. And, cool. We will put a pin in that because we definitely probably want to circle back to it. At some point, we need to get tartar sauce back on the air. That's true. But uh, well, it, at least at least a special or something. Add it to the list, right? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for us, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Um, I will try. I'm thinking I'll do a live from the bunker tomorrow. But we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. It's been one of those things. So. Uh, we'll, we'll be around, we'll be back. And and of course we've got good morning multiverse on Saturday morning. So yes, go share the links with people, tell people, you know, tell your friends, inflict us on your enemies, all that good stuff. And we'll be back next week. 
This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 